This past week, Beckett and I went to Washington, D.C. We saw a lot of museums and monuments while we were there. Took in a soccer game. One of the museums we went to, I think it would actually be better termed a monument. It's a natural history museum, but I think it would be better worded as a monument to evolution. Uh, because that was what the entire museum was about. It was highlighting and promoting and telling an alternate story about human origins. Not just human origins, but the origins of all things that came from a purely naturalistic process. No involvement from God. In fact, the, one of the centerpieces of one of the rooms that we went into, there were signs all around the museum that said, come and meet one of your oldest relatives. It's like, oh, wonder who's going to be there. <laughs> we went in, and it was somebody called, not somebody, something called Morgie. Uh, I'm not even, I'm going to butcher this name. A Morgan Condu. They said it's one of the, the first mammals. And they had the family tree of all of our relatives, according to them, that descended from Morgie. Uh, Morgie was a, this kind of rat, mole-looking creature. So mice, whales, rhinoceroses, rhinoceri, I don't know, cows, giraffes, cats, dogs, us. We all descended from Morgie. Uh, and they say that that, that, that that story, that origin of uh, really humanity has implications because we, we inherited, we received certain things from Morgie because we've descended from her or it or, or him. Uh, certain ways that jaws function, uh, the fact that, we, uh, uh, nur- that mammals nurse uh, they're young, um, that we are developed from, uh, that we have hair on us. Uh, but that's really at odds with what the Scriptures tell us, isn't it? And we have a reason, Paul has told us, of why alternate stories like that are put forth. Because remember what we've seen in Romans so far, that it's clear that God has clearly revealed Himself in the natural world that it's evident that there is a God who made all things. His glory, His power, His might is evident. But why do we not want to receive that and acknowledge that? Why do we see the evidence and come up with alternative interpretations? The Scriptures tell us because we suppress the truth. We suppress the truth that there is a God. Uh, This this morning, uh, as we get into uh, the second half of chapter 5, Paul is actually going to reorient and point us back to the true history of humanity. To our actual oldest living, or not living, but our oldest relative. The first man, Adam. And from, from Paul's perspective, it's important that we recognize and understand this. From the biblical perspective, Adam was not myth. Adam was not legend. Adam was an historical man who lived in space and time and history. He did not descend from any sort of other creature like Morgie or an ape or uh, uh, any sort of other uh, hominid type thing. God 
formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed life into him. Adam was created and made in the image of God. He gave Adam uh, responsibility in his world to care for uh, creation, to name creation, to live for God's honor and his glory in the world. And all of us, every single human, has descended from Adam and Eve. Paul says that there are implications for that, being descended from Adam and Eve. Um, it, it's, it, it's more than what we, what we look like. Paul's saying there are spiritual implications. Implications that affect and impact each and every one of us because of the historical truth and reality that Adam existed and we descend from him. Paul is going to explain what these theories of evolution can't. Of explaining for us what is wrong with the world. How did it get like this? What's the purpose of the world? How is it going to be made right? Is there anything wrong with the world? Or is this just the way it kind of has happened through just fate or chance? Paul is going to point us and show us and help us again to see and understand what is wrong with the world. How deep is our problem? And what is it about what Adam did that affects each and every one of us today? Because this is going to be important, because remember what we left off last time. Paul has been giving us, uh, seeking to point and direct us so that we can have confident, assured uh, assurance, hope in the biblical language, that we will escape God's just wrath for rebelling against them and for sinning. Why can we have that hope? Because we have been declared righteous by faith in Jesus we can make sure and know that we will escape the wrath of God on the day of judgment. Paul is going to show us by directing us to Adam. He's saying you must understand what it means that you have descended from Adam and how what he did impacted all of us. Because that is going to help us understand and know the implications of Jesus, who he is, what he has done, the problem and the solution, seeing and looking at these two men, historical figures who existed and lived and breathed in space, time, and history. So, let's turn together to Romans chapter 5. If you're following along with us in one of the Black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 942. We're looking at verses 12 through 21 this morning. So if you would uh, turn with me there to your copy of God's Word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. 
For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also or grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you do speak. You do act. You are involved in your creation. You are involved in redemption. You have revealed yourself to us, not just generally through the material world around us and your acts and works of creation, but particularly through your prophets, through the scriptures, through Jesus, your son, through his authorized spokespersons, We thank you that you haven't left us to grope around in the dark. You've given us the light of your word. You've given us true truth. It's not always easy to understand, though. And therefore, we need you this morning. Help us to hear and understand and believe and apply your word to our hearts. Guide me, guide all of us that Christ would be exalted. In His name we pray. Amen. Paul here is giving us the the true story of our existence. Paul has given us uh, insight that might not be able to be picked up just by looking at the world around us other than the fact that we should recognize that we were created. But Paul is telling us certain things about who Adam was, the relationship that all of humanity had to Adam and its implications for us today. There's no way just any mere regular guy could do this. Remember, Paul has been set apart by the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth to be his authorized spokesperson. Paul is speaking to us revelation from our God to explain to us what is true and what is going on. This isn't the product of Paul's invention. It's not He is not in error as he's thinking about this. He is applying the revealed Word of God to us from Genesis to our hearts and our lives now. And we need to listen. We need to understand that if there's any places where in our own hearts or uh, the, the alternative stories or interpretation of data in our world is contrary to what God has revealed in His Word, that we rest on what God has said and not what man has said. What is it that God tells us? What He tells us is that we have all descended from Adam, and that is a problem for us because of what Adam did. There is a a problem that comes to all of us 
Because we have been represented by, or the biblical language, we are in Adam. Now, it's important as we apply and understand what Paul is saying here that we know a little bit about Adam and his background. Maybe you're new to uh, some of the, the stories in, in Scripture. Adam was the first man created by God. Uh, God made everything out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. Uh, there was nothing for any other God to do. There were no gods, but there would have been nothing for him to do after God was done creating and doing what he did and creating the, the world and all things in it in the space of six days. And Adam, God gave... a. a, a uh, entered into a special relationship with him. Adam uh, and humanity were made in the image of God. We reflected him. And Adam was entrusted with certain things that he was to do. He was to be fruitful and multiply. He was to pass that command on to Eve once she was around. He was to, to take dominion uh, and to subdue the creation and care for it, reflecting God in the world. He was placed in a garden. He was to work and to keep it and to expand and spread God's little kingdom where he dwelt with God in that kingdom out to encompass the entire earth. And God gave him one uh, negative command, something that he wasn't to do. Adam wasn't to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam could eat of any other tree in the entire garden, but God said, don't eat of this one tree. On the day that you eat of it, you will die. But guess what Adam did? He disobeyed God. He ate of that tree. Satan deceived Eve. Eve communicated and spread this, communicated this to Adam, and Adam sinned, rebelling against God. And notice, notice what God says and what Paul applies and tells us. Look in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Uh, what Paul is getting at here is that, that what happened to Adam wasn't just a problem for him. God communicated and said, Adam, when you eat of the fruit, you will die. Because it was poisonous fruit? No. It's because that's the consequence of breaking covenant with God. Breaking this relationship that God had entered into with Adam and Eve. Did they die immediately upon eating it? No. But death entered the world at that time. And as you continue to go on through the rest of Genesis, especially when you get to the genealogies, the repeated phrase that sticks out is, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Death entered into the world. But not just physical death. God is the source of life. True living and human life is only and fully experienced when we are in the presence of our God in a relationship of love and trust and obedience and worship, dependence. That's what Adam experienced in the garden. But the consequence of his sin and his rebellion is that he and Eve were kicked out of the garden, out of the presence of God. Spiritual death, separation from the source and the one who has life began as well. The fullness of this but it did not just affect Adam. 
Notice, notice what he says. Sin came into the world through the one man, and death through sin, but death spread to all men. Because all sinned, he says here. And notice, he says that this death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Death affected everyone. All of us became sinners. Uh, here, as Paul is talking, one of the things that, he, uh, that he, uh, he tells us, he says, sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Now, Paul's not saying here that uh, if there is no law, then there cannot be the possibility of sin and that nobody will be judged if there is no law. Remember, we saw this previously in uh, the book of Romans, that all of us will be judged according to how we stand up and relate to God and His law. For those who have the revealed will of God in the Scriptures or through spoken command will be judged according to that. But the rest of us, or those who don't have it, will be judged according to the law that was written on their heart. So Paul isn't saying that there will be those who sin against God, but it won't be counted against them. He's pointing to something else. He's trying to draw this comparison and showing that even before Moses' law was given... Humanity still was rebelling against God. And even though Adam had an explicit command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he broke it, it wasn't just Adam who experienced death and its consequences. Every human that lived from that time up until Moses still experienced death. Those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who didn't break an explicit revealed law but we still experience the consequences. Why? Why do we experience the consequences because of what Adam did? He sinned. But notice, as Paul goes on, the, the problem is, is bigger. It's, he's not saying just the consequence that you experience is just death enters into the world. There's a bigger deal about what's going on with us understanding who Adam was, how we relate to him, and what his sin means for each and every one of us. Notice what he, what he says as he goes on. Let's look in verse 15. The free gift is not like the trespass, that's the trespass of Adam, for if many died through one man's trespass, okay, so notice, death comes, right? He continues to go on in verse uh, uh, 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Just to Adam? No. Notice as he, as he continues to, to go on. Look down in verse 18. Therefore, as, uh, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life to all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Uh, notice again what, what Paul is, is telling us. is It's not just that the consequence we experience due to Adam's rebellion is that we suffer death. We suffer the grave as a consequence of what Adam's doing. Paul's saying it's much deeper. We are actually being judged because of Adam's sin. We are being condemned because of Adam's sin. We are guilty for Adam's sin as well. 
Are we judged due to our own sin? Yes, that's clear. In the rest of Romans, and it's clear here. All of us sin. But notice what he says. The many were made sinners because of our own sin? No. Notice, over and over, what does it say? The one man's sin. The one man's sin. The one man's sin. His one trespass. What's going on? Why in the world are we being judged and experiencing the consequences for what Adam did. Shouldn't Adam suffer the consequences of his own sin and we stand before God based on what we have done? This does not seem fair all the time. Adam sinned, not me. But something that we have to understand is this isn't the way that God relates to humans. God relates to us through covenant representatives. Adam was chosen and designated as the representative of all of humanity. God is the creator. God is the one who graciously condescended, who stooped down to enter into a relationship with undeserving creatures. And he sets the parameters for how he's going to relate to us. And he said, I'm going to do it through covenant. And I will relate to you through this representative. As it goes for the representative, so it goes for the ones that he represents. We see that demonstrated here. Adam sinned, we sinned. We, you see, our, our individual sins... Don't, aren't what makes us sinners. We commit individual sins because we are sinners. In Adam, the consequence is that that is now true of us. But sometimes this is hard for us to, to make sense of, especially in Western thought, where we're very focused, sometimes hyperly focused on individuality except for Saturdays in the fall. <laughs> Saturdays in the fall, millions of Americans deeply grasp and understand the concept of representation, where another does and acts on your behalf. If they win, you win. If they lose, you lose. What is it? It's college football. It would not. I was at one last Monday. A buddy, I was Clemson was playing Duke. I did not go to Clemson. Let me just put that out. I did work there, and I needed that known because Clemson was getting trashed by Duke. And a guy that I know looked down the bench and he goes, "Man, y'all are getting killed." And I said, "It ain't me. I didn't go there. They're not playing for me." But the rest of those dressed in orange, they would have to acknowledge that. They are playing. Just as they can say, over the past several years, we've won two national championships, and I guarantee you, unless there was a, a former player in the, on the, in the stands, none of them set foot on the field to play. Yet they could say, we won the national championship. And I've said this before. Lindsay went to Clemson. She could say, we won the championship in 1981. Was Lindsay alive in 1981? No. But she can say that. Why? Because of representation. Now, have you ever heard a fan say, this isn't fair. It is not fair that they lost to Duke. And I, now that is credited to me and I have to say we lost. 
Why wasn't I allowed out on the field? I want to play for myself and not be associated with the loss that they earned for me. Really? How do you think you would stand up if you were out there on the field? What would happen? You see, what, what Paul is, is getting at is for us to, to understand this is the way that God relates to his creatures. It's through covenant and through representatives. Adam was your representative. And as it goes for Adam, so it went for you. That is the way that God set it up. That is the way that God relates to us. Now, some of us might say, whoa, that's still, that may be the way it is, but I don't think it's fair. I want to stand on my own. I want my record to be what is evaluated before God, not the record of another. I don't want Adam to, his, his unrighteousness, his sin to be imputed or credited to my account. I want to stand on my own. We need to be very careful with that objection because we've got to see where Paul's going here. Paul isn't just telling us about Adam so we'll understand the dynamics of why sin entered the world. Do you notice what he says here? Look in verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. The one who is to come, it's clear he's getting at here, is Jesus. The type means that Adam was a pattern. A pattern for us to understand and know who Jesus was and what he would do. If you want to understand the role and the work and what Jesus was there to accomplish, you must understand Adam and how he functioned in the world. Adam is not a Jesus figure. Jesus is an Adam figure. That's why the scriptures call him the second Adam, the second man. And notice what he continues to point to us over and over. There's a contrast. What Adam did and its results and what Jesus did and the results that it has for those that Jesus represents. You see, if we say, I want to stand on my own, I want my record to account. Guess what that means? You also must object to the good news of the gospel that Paul has been proclaiming from chapter 1 forth. That, yes, it is seriously bad news that Adam was your representative. Because guess what? Your judgment and your condemnation before God isn't just connected to your own individual sins, which each and every one of us uh, commit. But it's also connected to the, the guilt that you have in Adam. So if it's impossible for you to, through your own works of the law, stand before God and say, I have kept the law perfectly, you can't do that on your own in light of your own sin. But now when you factor in and you bring in that also connected to your account is the sin of Adam, now all of a sudden the problem is that much bigger. Your hole is that much deeper. The impossibility of you standing on your own record is, is not going to work. Therefore, the only hope is I need a new record. Is it possible? Let me hope. 
if this is the way that God works and deals with humanity, let me hope and pray that there is another way for me to have another record. That I can get rid of my own record and the record of Adam and another's can be credited to my account. Is that possible? Is it? The good news of the Gospel is that yes, it is. It is possible for the record of another to be credited to you. Because remember, this is how God works and He operates with humanity. Through representatives. As it goes through the representatives, so it goes through those that He represents. What was the result of all those who were represented or who were in Adam? Death, sin, guilt, rebellion. Or if you want to, a guy who's written on this stuff, a guy named Jaunty Rhodes, he puts it in G's. The grime or the sinfulness of Adam is, is passed on to us. The grave is passed on to us. And the guilt, the three G's. But recognize and see, Adam's one sin brought this disaster to all of us. If that one sin brought this mess of things, how great, how great must the solution be to write it? Because that, that's Paul's point here. It's not just to compare Jesus to Adam, but to contrast them, to show us that the solution is that much greater than the problem. few weeks ago, I was making oatmeal from Harrison and myself for breakfast. We eat a lot of oatmeal, Harrison, huh? Almost every morning. I've, no exaggeration, literally made oatmeal hundreds of times in our house. Almost every morning we eat it. Same process. Get the oatmeal out, put it in the bowl, pour the milk in, stick it in the microwave. Three minutes. But this... This one morning, I forgot something. It's just a small, small mistake. I forgot to put the milk in the oatmeal. I put it in the microwave, and I go about doing other things because it works the same way all the time. And then here, 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 saying, hey, Daddy, something's going on with the oatmeal. It's smoking. And I come back, and I, I look inside, and I open it up, and all of a sudden, smoke is billowing out of the microwave. I slam the microwave door shut, unplug it, pick it up, and run it out on the porch. Simple solution, right? No. i got to get the smoldering oatmeal out of the microwave, throw it out into the yard. Now the microwave, due to this, is stained in the inside as we had burning oatmeal in the microwave. It's now stained. But it's not just the stain of the color of the flames, it's the smell. And I go back in the house and the smell is everywhere. I, I can't escape it. I start smelling around and eventually I walk upstairs and I tell Lindsay what's going on and she's like, yeah, you, you smell like it. <laughs> It had permeated my skin, my hair, my clothes. I had to take a shower to get rid of this smell. But I still couldn't escape it. It's still in the microwave every time we turn something on. So I had to set it out in the shed for days, cooking vinegar in a bowl to try to get rid of this smell, washing the walls. You see, it took a whole lot more effort and work to rectify the problem that, and the consequences that came in due to my error. The solution must be greater and superior to the problem. 
And that is what Paul is pointing us and wanting us to see, is how much and how sufficient the solution that Jesus brings for everyone that He represents. Notice, again, in verse 15, but, the contrast, the free gift that comes from Jesus is not like the trespass. For if many died... Now, need to understand this as Paul's using this language. As he's using these terms many here, he's talking about all those that Adam represents and all those that Jesus represents. So, if many died through the one man's trespass, much more. Notice the comparison. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded. Abounded for many. As the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. A declaration in a law court. You are guilty and deserving of punishment. But notice the result. The free gift following many trespasses brought justification. The declaration before the judge that you are, your sin has been forgiven and you are made right with God. For if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus. Again, here's where that language of recognize the superior credit and account of Jesus, the righteousness of God. He never broke the law. He fulfilled and did what Adam was unable to do in each and every way. Adam broke one direct command. Jesus kept them all. He was obedient even to the point of death. And it's that righteousness, that credit, that is credited to the people of God. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's right obedience many will be made righteous. You notice, over and over, abounded, much more. It's as if what Paul is trying to, to get us to see is to recognize how much greater Jesus is, how sufficient His perfections, His work as the, the, the mediator, the representative, the covenant head of a new covenant and possibility for God's people to be made right before Him. You see, it's going to be necessary. Notice, Adam brought in death, but what's the result of what Jesus did? Jesus brings in life. Not just temporary life, not just hypothetical life, not just theoretical or metaphorical life. But notice in verse 21, So then as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus. What a, what a blessing. But notice also the, the, the contrast. How much sin did Adam commit that brought us in? One trespass, right? He disobeyed one command. And look at the, just the devastation that it brought. But by the time Jesus came on the scene, there had been much more than just one sin. Sin had multiplied and abounded. 
Because remember, even we saw before what Paul told us back up in verse 13, is that from the time of Adam to Moses, before the law had been revealed, death still reigned because of the guilt we had in Adam and the sin that we committed. But once the law of Moses came, more sin is there. That's what he gets at down here at the bottom. Look in verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The, the law, as it was given, not that this, this is one purpose of the law, but not the whole purpose of the law. We've talked about that in other places. But one of the purposes of the law was to expose to us our sin. For us to see and recognize our need for a Redeemer because we see our own sin. The law multiplied the trespass because something about the law itself, no. About what it revealed in the heart of the ones who received the law. You ever seen a sign on a bench or a, a, a rail, a chair rail around town? Or in a restaurant? Or in your school? It says, wet paint, do not touch. You know what I do every single time I see one of those signs? I touch it. I touch it. I am not lying. I touch it. Because I want to find out, is that really true? Maybe it's dried by now. <laughs> Most of the time, I come away with something on my hand. It's not something about the sign. The sign isn't making me reject it. There's something about my own heart and my response to being told not to do something that, that, that in kind of encourages what is already there. And God is saying, look, I've given my law and it's exposed even more sin. Again, we've got to realize how deep is our problem. It's not just Adam's sin. It's my own. And I continue to multiply it and multiply it and multiply it. But it's not just mine. It's many people. Because, get this, Jesus didn't come just to save one person. He came to save the many. All those who put their faith in Jesus. The solution is greater. It is superior. It abounds over the problem. Do you recognize this? There is no sin that you have committed or ever will commit that the grace of Jesus is not enough to deal with, to fix, to forgive, to rectify, to superabound. You will never out the grace of your good Savior and Redeemer. His death was sufficient for you and for all those for whom the Father gave Him. For all those that are found in Him. The grace of Jesus is enough. Now, if you're like, whoa, whoa, you can't be talking like that. If that's true, then we might want to go around and just start sinning all the time. Well, Paul will get to that next week. Come back. That's not what he's saying, by the way. But you need to recognize the sufficiency of Christ. That not just his death, but notice what Paul is pointing to. His obedience. Because what is our need? Not just that our sin is forgiven. That was dealt with through Jesus' death on the cross. But what is needed for us is an account of our relationship to the law that says you have fulfilled it. And that can only be accomplished by Christ, not ourselves. So this leaves every human that has ever existed with this question that you must ask yourself. Who am I in? 
Who is my representative? If it's still Adam, then notice the consequences. Death, judgment, condemnation, separation from God. But there is the opportunity to be removed from being in Adam, from him being your representative, and to be placed in Christ. And how does that happen? Through our good deeds? Through God looking at us sinners and saying, oh man, you know what? They sure really do keep my law well. They mess up every now and then, but I want them on my team. No. It's only through what Christ has done. And the constant theme through this book and through all of Scripture, it is by grace we have been saved. Through faith and trusting in one who has done what we could not and never will be able to do. And that is the good news of the Gospel. Do you hear how good this news is? Adam was your representative. But God, in His grace and mercy, has said, I am going to give you another representative. I am going to take on flesh. I am going to enter into your world. I am going to suffer and die for your sin, not my own. And I am going to credit to you my righteousness and my goodness that is received by faith. Do you know Jesus? Are you in Jesus? You see, this origin story, who you were related to matters. The historical existence of Adam has implications to the work of Christ who also existed in space, time, and history and really did rise from the dead. Do you know Him? Have you been forgiven by Him? Is His account yours? Call out to Him in mercy. Look to God in faith. And the promise is that we can escape the condemnation that is rightfully ours in Adam for His sin and ours And we can be found in Jesus. And His righteousness, His perfection, can be credited to our account. We stand on His record, not our own. And that is the good, good news of the Gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your revelation to us. We couldn't dream this up. We couldn't understand this apart from You working Apart from You showing Yourself to us through, through Moses, through the prophets, through Christ, through Paul, this authorized spokesperson of Yours, we pray that You would help us to believe, to rest in the good news of the Gospel, that sinners are made right through what Jesus has done, not through what we do. We thank You that He is our representative. We thank You that the solution is superior, far superior than the problem. Jesus, You are the Great One, and we worship and praise You. In Your name we pray. Amen.